Hi, everybody. Welcome to Evolve, where we focus on the evolution of leadership. And I'm excited to have Michael King here with us today. Michael, do you mind introducing yourself and your company? Yeah, absolutely. I am the uh, I'm the the founder and CEO uh, of Teams.Coach. Uh, I'm an executive coach, so I, I primarily focus on working with with C-level leaders, really optimizing their team and getting the best performance out of them as possible, and also helping leaders clarify their vision in ways that they haven't been able to do so before. Um, and it's been a, a great privilege, even just to get to know you a little bit here already. So thanks for having me on your on your show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, one of the things that we talk to a lot of our CEOs about um, is burnout. And a lot of CEOs have experienced, I would say, a lot of trauma, right, in the last couple of years, because what they were comfortable with has drastically changed in many cases. What do you have some ideas or suggestions on how to avoid burnout as a CEO? <laughs> I have, a, I have a couple observations. Um, you know, I think Albert Einstein's the one who actually made the statement safe that the def or made, made it common is that the definition of insanity is trying something over and over and over again um, and expecting a different result, right? Exactly. And, you know, as, as we've come through these, these last few years, I think innovation and ingenuity um, it causes a C-level leader to take on unprecedented pressure for them to do something different and maybe even get different results out of what uh, the environments are, are, are allowing us to be a part of right now. The number one thing, though, that leads a CEO or any leader peri periodically to the levels of burnout is really the idea of exerting a significant amount of energy on anything at all and not getting anything in return. That's and that's a pretty big deal. So I, I'd say the number one thing is that whatever we're putting our energy towards, we have to know that we're going to get some sort of return on that as, as long as it's reasonable. And so our expectations are, are in are in the pocket. But the second question, maybe that I even just bounce back to you um, in, in your space that you've led in is that I see leaders burning out significantly more than ever now is because they're wanting things that should have never been theirs in the first place. <laughs> right. Very, very true. Right. They, they, yeah, they're wanting things today that really they never had before and they, sh they're kind of being unrealistic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what ends up, so there's this thing to where, when we go from our, our, our vision and our mission, so vision is what we see. And I think again, when it comes to being a C-level leader, it's not optional for you to have a vision. Like it's, you know, if, if anything, Better. being a chief visionary or a secondary visionary officer within your organization, it's absolutely mandatory. Um, but knowing what is yours and what should be yours is really key. So the idea of vision and mission, so vision, what is, what is it that we see mission? What do we do? But then our values, our values and the construct of our convictions and who we are as an organization, making sure that that is first and foremost established and it's foundational. That's a really big thing. What ends up happening when a leader doesn't necessarily have a strong vision is that they start looking at everybody else's vision. And here's the thing is that what was cool for Steve Jobs is not cool for me. That's not what I want. That's not what is cool for my organization. And so it's important that as a leader, you can you can avoid burnout by making sure that your vision's on point, your values are stacked, that you have the right team and that you're executing well, but making sure that you're not chasing down things that should have never been yours in the first place. Yeah, that's true. And how does a leader decide what role somebody belongs into the company? You know, there's that saying, I guess, that, 
um, number one, you have to be on the right bus. And then you have to be in the right seat on the right bus, um, you know, and the bus going in the right direction concept. And, you know, it's so funny in my history, I've seen a lot of kind of roles create around around people specifically Mm -hmm. as you get to know that person, like maximizing their strengths, not necessarily trying to make their weaknesses stronger. What, What are you finding? Yeah, I'm finding that's a combination of both. I do believe in building by design. Um, in that, uh, d- whether we like it or not, infrastructure actually exists for a reason and that every single functional role within an organization actually has a purpose. And so that we don't just put people in titles into different roles because we, we just want to give somebody a nameplate to have on the outside of their office. Um, in that we have to know that they're going to actually produce something or perform in a certain capacity in order to move things forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but the question, I love the way you asked this is that, you know, can you explain the two different types of people found in any organization? I actually call them, you're either a blueprint or you're a framework leader. And let me kind of describe this for you a little bit is that when even kind of leaning back into that first question of, of leader burnout, more times than not with the leaders that I'm currently working with when it comes to their infrastructure or their C-suite or the leaders that they're, that a C-level player leader is currently responsible for, it's actually pretty surprising is that if, if you have a blueprint level leader reporting directly into somebody that's leading at the C-level, it can cause a C-level person to burn out. The difference between a blueprint and a framework person is a framework person is somebody that you can give a set of vision or a set of values to and saying, this is the direction that we're going now just go build. A blueprint right? needs the blueprints and the directions on how to do it, right? Yeah, right. they need to, they need to know everything. It's just like I need to know step one, step two, step three. I used to have this executive assistant that worked for me, and I learned the hard way about it a little bit because I work with I work with people that I don't feel like I want to micromanage. But some people they, they need to be they have to have specific instructions, not necessarily micromanagement because that's a culture thing, but they need to have the playbook. They have to know exactly what is going to take place. And so this person that worked for me, they um, they actually had to have a script. So when they were calling the venues that I was going to speak at or when they were they were working on my travel schedule, they needed to know exactly what to do every 15 minutes of their day. And it eventually it exhausted me. Of course, because I ended up having to do the work in the in the in the first place. Right. So. um, So that's where the two different types of leaders, you know, blueprint framework. Put your framework people at higher levels within your organization in which they can actually see the vision, they have some buy-in with the values, and then they get to build out your systems and your strategies for your blueprint players so the senior leaders don't have to. Yeah, That's really key. Yeah, I find that the blueprint leaders have a hard time leading the charge because they can't. And it's not that they don't, they, they are the ones that make it all happen and kind of put the pieces together, but they can't see that big picture and how to get from A to Z. And I've learned at least that we we always have a mixture of both because I think you need both to be successful, but without those, you can't do it with just blueprints. You can't. And I, and I, in, 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 you may have heard this before as well, but when I'm working with a team, I can quickly kind of discern who the leaders are and who the talent is. Sometimes you have both. Sometimes you have people that are like, you know what? I'm also talent. I'm also leadership. Let's rock. Let's go. But more times than not, we get we get tempted by the shiny object because we see somebody performing in a specific role. This is the this is the same the ad old 
uh, the the age old story of the person that's phenomenal in sales and they're a rock star on your sales team doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be an amazing sales manager. No. Um, Right. And sometimes they're the worst sales manager. Um, You know, my my son's on the professional tennis circuit for juniors. And what I found is a lot of times you judge coaches by their record, right? How did they perform? But actually some of the best coaches actually weren't successful players. And some of the most successful players are the worst coaches. You know, they could coach themselves and they could make themselves successful, but they sure can't uplift and, and coach somebody else. So I think it's the same thing when it comes from leadership. Oh, you know, and I mean, you're, you're talking, so I'm based out of Omaha, Nebraska. So if, if you live in Nebraska, you have been baptized with Cornhusker culture. There's nothing that you can do to, <laughs> to, to actually shake this. And so we have Scott Frost as our lead, or as our head coach for the football team here. And I think everybody's looking for that paradigm of what you just said is like, Hey, as a player, you were a championship quarterback. You were this, you were this, you're this. Okay, well, this is your first head coach job. Let's see what you have to do. Well, we're four seasons in, and so far it's the it's the worst in the history of, of uh, Cornhusker football. So we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> well, I'll have to follow it from afar. So let's talk about the CEO and how how does kind of that blueprint person um, and that framework person affect the CEO? Because you have this leader, I guess, in a lot of ways, does it depend what type of CEO they are? Well, as we kind of mentioned a little bit before, is that um, the CEO, they also carry this secondary op- this secondary title, and it's called the CVO, the Chief Visionary Officer of the organization. As I'm coaching um, CEOs from everything from, you know, from startups all the way to Fortune 500, what we're really looking at is what can I do and what can I do to help partner with a, with a C-level leader to make sure that vision and future capacity becomes their number one bandwidth uh, occupier. So, um, you know, if I can get a C-level leader to be thinking 40% of everything that they're doing is thinking about what the future looks like, then I know that we're going to win. But if, because there's a whole thing of like, you've heard the saying, uh, there's a huge difference between working on your business, working versus working in your business. CEOs need to be consistently working on it, where their team needs to be a little bit more, I guess, more functional in actually making the machine work. So um, that's the type of impact that these types of players will have. Like if you surround yourself with framework leaders, people that you can trust, they're self-starters and having reasonable expectations too um, around this, by the way. So I don't know if you're familiar with, with the Enneagram and things like that, but I have a whole thoughts on on enneagrams and, and what makes really great c-level le- leaders uh, as i've worked with players within within c-level teams but opening up the bandwidth of the of the ceo it is absolutely essential in today's market space in order for the, for that company to find success otherwise the ceo will burn out yeah no it makes a lot of sense and what what mistakes do you see leaders making right now um having unreasonable expectations on the people that are on their team. Um, as we're moving into 2022 and beyond what well, we are in 2022, but what we've seen is this like, um, you've heard this, this term, I think it's called the, like the, the great, uh, resignation yep. Yep. type of thing. Uh, I think Forbes just came out with a report that said that in the next five years, 87% of all employment spaces will have at work at home options. Um, within the next five years, that's huge. Um, so having reasonable expectations on the people that are currently on your team and knowing who they are. So raising the level of emotional intelligence within your organization 
is absolutely mandatory. So knowing your temperament, knowing expectations that you can have on specific players on your team and making sure that they're getting the right seats on the right bus in the first place would definitely help, which is what I do. Um, but typically when we end up coming in and doing this organizational audit and finding out, okay, do you actually have realistic expectations on the people that are leading the charge for you in the first place? You would be surprised at how many times that the, the expectations, they are so far off and this is what's causing the chaos in the first place. Right. Now, what accommodation should leaders be making right now? I mean, obviously, you mentioned the concept of work from home. You mentioned um, having realistic expectations. Um, yeah. Is something, you know, and and it's it, I think it's all your perspective, right? Like, I think I set reasonable expectations for everybody, but maybe I don't. And is that kind of where the the concept of why it's important to have a coach, why it's important to have mentors to run those ideas past them to make sure you're not, you know, just being unreasonable? Yes, absolutely. I think when it comes to, um, you know, making sure that you, that you create opportunities for the cream to rise to the top and, and create everybody. To, well, first and foremost, having realistic realistic expectations for the people that are on your teams. It actually means that at some point in time that you kind of have to hit a reset if you might have felt like maybe your expectations were off in the first place. Mm -hmm. So backing up from your organization a little bit, going back to, you know, building by design and reverse engineering your vision a bit, skill sets that you currently have on your team that you didn't ask for in the first place, understanding that those things could actually be assets that you just weren't aware of that you had in the first place. So being flexible with some of the products and services and the way that you provide things, um, as long as it's reflection of your vision and your values, you're good to go. But, um, but man, you're talking about getting some extra life out of the people that are on your team by allowing them to use something within your organization that they're already great at, but it, maybe it wasn't a part of their original job description in the first place. Having that type of flexibility into, into adjust in the middle of the game is absolutely crucial. Right. No, that makes sense. And how do you see leadership styles evolving? This is huge. So, you know, when we think about four different styles of leadership that have been like our main things. And these are things that I've even like, you know, studied back, all the way going back to my master's programming. We were talking about transformational leaders. We have charismatic, we have transactional. Um, what's the fourth one? Uh, charismatic. So charismatic, transformational, transactional, you know, and servant leadership. Yep. So these, these are the ones to where all of a sudden, the one thing that I have noticed a lot is that the ones that are evolving is that charismatic and transactional leaders, they are becoming, they used to be the golden tickets. They used to be, and in, in, if you followed me at all, you've heard me talk about this idea that, that credibility is the new charisma. And what you're seeing is this mass effect of saying people being absolutely destroyed and not interested in charismatic leadership um, or transactional leadership. These are the two styles to where it's just like when it comes to being in a workspace, more times than not, and you'll see this, this the number one thing when over 7,000 different employees surveyed last year, the number one thing that they said that they valued most was just knowing that they actually mattered to their direct report. Mm. A massive thing. So that tells me that transactional and servant leadership, that these are on the rise, or I'm sorry, transformational leadership and, and, uh, and servant leadership, that these things are on the rise. And knowing kind of how to make sure that you can move your teams forward with the high levels of emotional intelligence, absolutely crucial. One of the biggest recommendations to me, and it was in the last couple of months, was you can't just any longer go up to somebody and say, how are you today? 
you actually need to say, how are you feeling today? And oh, I, I kind of found that to be really interesting because I started to ask myself, am I now becoming a mental health therapist? Um, but I think in many cases, leadership, we are without even realizing it has to be a personal connection. It can't just be, hey, how are you, Bob? Right? Uh, I mean, it, Bob doesn't really think you care about him. Yeah, that's true. I, I right outside my office here every single day when I come up come up here to my office, there's this guy that walks down the hallway and he he walks by me every day and he's just like, "How you doing?" And then I'll <laughs> usually try to respond and give him a real answer, but he just keeps walking, you know, down the down his path, he but want you to respond because he doesn't stop. No. No, he doesn't. So, um but he feels but, like he's making a difference. He's feeling like he's saying the right things, but it's no different than asking your friend who's going through a really hard time, hey, let me know how I can help you, instead of just showing up at your friend's door ready to help, right? You, If you ask somebody, they're, they're, they're not going to come back to you and say, hey, yeah, I'm going through this horrible time right now. You can, you know, come help with my dogs. Show up, right? You have to show up. And that's what I don't think has ever happened that is key to today. It's, it's yeah. you have to do more. Well, and, the, and that's where, so I remember sitting in a, in a boardroom um, with, with a high-level team and noticing that this was a massive white room, right? It was, and so all the way around the, the, the top of the, of the wall were in big black bold letters were their organizational values, you know? So authenticity, transparency, all these things were written out. And then there was one statement at the very, very end of this that said, this is not my job is something we will never say. Like out of everything that was on the wall, that was the biggest, most bold statement that was there. And and I remember feeling like as I'm working with this, this executive going, you know, there's a difference between real values and aspirational values. I can promise you that that was aspirational. That was not a real value of that team. At some point in time, somebody actually said to that C-level leader, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go out and help you with that because that's just not my job, right? And I think that, that that's where sometimes that we try to, we try to um, maybe even aspirationally declare values about our organization because, you know, everybody, everybody would love to be able to have their value systems and their, and everything branded so nice, like, you know, Apple think different, you know, or thinking differently or whatever, or Chick-fil-A or, or whatever it is. But when it comes down to it, if your values don't actually represent the behaviors that exist within your team, you're losing credibility by the moment. So making sure that you're able to pause, like, like what you just mentioned now is even even talking about the guy that's walking down my hallway or showing up to somebody's doorstep and actually behaving in a way to where you've showed up to help. If you're not actually building your value construct that reflects reality, then you might want to actually pause yourself and, and go, okay, how do I change my behaviors to reflect the things that I truly want to build? Because if it's not reflected from the top, it's not going to manifest itself at, at, at uh, entry levels within your organization. So we have to remind ourselves that whatever we make visible is what we, repli- is what we replicate. That's a huge thing. Yeah, no, and, and I think just to recap too, um, one of the questions I'd love to ask is, do you have any advice for CEOs today? And what's interesting is you've already given really two strong pieces of advice. One is, you know, look at your values. Are you really representing what those mean, right? And two, do you have realistic expectations for your people? Yeah, 
that is probably the only that that would be the golden ticket for today is that if there was one thing that I that um, and I always do necessarily start with this. The first thing that I do when I sit down with the leader and their team is we do this thing called an organizational uh, amplifier. And it's this survey that includes the Enneagram and but also in, includes some really key important questions to find out. Is this organization truly who they think they are? And I think that that is I think that that's the golden ticket on this, like having realistic expectations for your team and also make sure that your values, they actually represent who you truly believe that you are. If they aren't, make some changes, make some big swings, because right now you actually have permission to make changes. I don't know if you're going to have that permission in five years. Yeah, no, that's really true. Now is a good time. You actually can make changes. Your people are expecting change. They never know every day is something. Am I going to get a new notice that says this is the new protocol for the office? Um, everything's in turmoil, right? And nobody can predict when that turmoil is really going to end and settle and what that settlement is going to look like at its final stage. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, hearsay, but nobody really knows. I mean, nobody predicted the pandemic like like to affect everybody the way that it has either. So it's, uh, you know, a definitely a good opportunity for CEOs to make change. Yes. Like before. And and that's where if if you know, so there's a difference between scarcity mentality and an abundant mentality on this. Yeah. And here's what I would say is that it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a Fortune 50 or whether you're Fortune 500 or whether you're entrepreneur or startup or whatnot. I have been a part of some of the absolute craziest, most ridiculous, big swing for the fences type leadership decisions in the last year that I never saw happening, but it has been fun. It is exciting. ROI has been absolutely ridiculous because people get an opportunity to be kind of to start over, yeah. to make some of those course corrections that they weren't brave enough to do before. And it is paying off in a very interesting way. The market spaces are different now. Right. And so you have to reinvent, otherwise you're going to lose. Right. No, you have to, you have, you have to change right now is an opportunity and you should take it. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Our goal for Evolve is really to allow leaders to learn, connect and grow together. And Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your time and look forward to continuing to follow you. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for having me.